Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 66. My name is Arvind. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionTanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fool of Me. Hi, everybody. It was a busy day for the Leafs yesterday, wasn't it? A lot of things happened. It was actually very kind of Dubas to do basically everything <laughs> in one day. So there's, I might jinx this by saying it, but there's li- very little risk, I think, of this podcast being out of date, like, you know, 10 hours after we record by something else that happens. Yeah, it, you know, now that you've said it, I actually do think you've jinxed it and it's going to happen. But uh, yeah, no, we kind of saw Kyle Dubas get a lot of things out of the way yesterday. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously some of that's inherent because it was the second day of the draft, but yeah, it was a big day in Leafland. So yeah, so let's just uh, get right into yeah, it. Yeah, let's get um, into it. We'll start with the Patrick Marno deal. So do yeah. you have the parameters of the deal handy? Uh, I believe I do. So we traded Patrick Marlowe to the Carolina Hurricanes um, for a conditional, sorry, we included a conditional first with Patrick Marlowe. That's the incentive for the Hurricanes to take on his contract. Um, we also got like a miniature pick swap where we sent them a seventh and we got back a sixth. That doesn't mean anything. Um, and... I think that's clearly the most significant part of the deal. <laughs> oh, Yeah. It's that little, like, tenth of a percentage point of increased asset value there that really makes it. Um, So the condition on the first-round pick that we sent with Patrick Marlowe is if by some disaster our first-rounder ends up in the top ten next year, uh, we'll keep it, and then we'll end up giving away our 2021 first to Carolina unprotected. No one really expects that to happen. But the effective result is we paid a first-round pick to get rid of Patrick Marlowe's contract. Yes. Uh, the rumor is Carolina is going to buy him out, and then he can go on his merry way. Maybe he'll take a very cheap deal with San Jose to live you know, back in California for the last season of his career, probably. But that's kind of no longer our concern. The point is that uh, the dirty work is done, we paid the price, and we got probably the worst contract on our cap sheet off our books. Yeah, agreed. Um, So this is, it's a difficult deal to analyze in some sense because we don't know what really the other offers were to get rid of Marlowe or even if there were other offers. Mm -hmm. The way I'd kind of describe this deal as, it's not ideal, but it was kind of necessary, right? We we talked at length, especially in the podcast with Rahef, about... You know, it's theoretically possible to fit everything in without trading Marlowe, but you need to, like, really squeeze Kapanen and Janssen. You need to bridge Marner, and you need the cap projection to be high. And, you know, basically all of those have turned out to not be the case. And once that became clear, it's like, okay, well, we really need to get off this contract, right? It's And at first, yeah. it's a, it is a high price to pay, um, mm-hmm. but that's the cost of doing business, and that's, you know, we knew... The downsides of this contract when it was signed we always knew the third year was going to be troublesome and i think you did a great job earlier kind of illustrating how this contract is not easy to move and all of these harebrained galaxy brain schemes to get rid of it costlessly were never going to work this is the price we had to pay the piper yeah i remember when i wrote that article i listed basically everything i could think of in terms of ways to dispose of that contract now, the first precondition was always Patrick Marlowe has to waive his no-move clause. Which is also something that he had to do here. Yeah, which he did do here, and so that was very obliging of him. Like, it, like, yeah, no he had no reason that to do that. That was great of him really. to do that. 
Yeah, he, he could have said, you know, like, F you, you signed a contract with me. I would like to stay here. But, uh, you know, his family has moved back to California. I think that they preferred it there is what it sounds like. And so, um, you know, this frees him up to hopefully go back and, uh, and be with them on the West Coast, which is great. But I remember at the time I wrote, this thing is possible, unlike some of the other schemes that would seem very unlikely, but it's going to cost something. It's, it's basically um, another team is going to buy a draft pick from us. I wasn't sure I was hoping it was going to be a first. You know, I, I'm a little disappointed it cost that much, but realistically, it is a huge cap hit. And more than that, it's not an empty cap hit. So even Carolina, who generally do not spend to the cap, they're still spending a reasonable amount of real money. Like Tom Dundon, who owns that team, has shelled out, I think, something like $3.8 million to basically buy a first-round pick. Yeah, so, and the buyout also changes the cash flow from their perspective too, doesn't it? It doesn't change the cap hit, but it changes... Yeah, yeah, no, outcome. it does. But um, because of his signing bonuses, mm-hmm. which uh, are going to be payable because he's going to be bought out now, um, they're going to end up paying a reasonable amount of real money. So, you know, this was it. Um it was an ugly deal. I have to say I was not harsh enough on it when it was first signed. I said, oh, it might be a problem. And I remember you were telling me, like, it's going to be a very bad problem. And it was. And now it, it, it comes around again. At the time, as of yesterday, when I first saw this, I was not happy at all. I don't like being without a first-round pick for two consecutive years. Um, especially since this was kind of just cleaning up a mess like we're not making any major acquisition here right we didn't think of it as yeah we we don't get any better really by doing this you can say well this prevents us from getting worse because it means we don't have to lose Kasperi Kapanen or what have you Mm -hmm. and that's true but it is painful to uh to have to chill out in this way I you know thinking about it yeah uh you know it was probably necessary as you said um it's it's painful you know nothing against Marlowe as a person great guy um borderline Hall of Fame career. I don't think he'll quite make it, but um, gave a lot, you, you know, was a, clearly a great guy to have around the team, but it's just like that third year was such an albatross. And, uh, you know, we've paid for it, so it, it's done. Yeah, yeah, it, it's one of those, it, it is what it is, right? Like, I, I, I don't know what Dubas really could have done differently. Uh, once it became clear that we did need to get this contract off the books, Mm-hmm. You, you kind of just got to hold your nose and, and do it, right? And I guess it, it, it has become very, very apparent with the cap hit, uh, kind of decreasing, the project, cap projection decreasing um, with kind of the repeated talks from the Marmor camp of, you know, this is not going to be an easy negotiation at all from needing really aggressive hardball demands on Janssen and Kappen. It was needed to get rid of this contract, right? And even if... Um, and so the, the reason why this is perhaps kind of easier to get rid of than Zaitsev, in a sense, is, is that with Marlowe, the Leafs have ready-made replacements in-house, mm-hmm. right? So they, they get rid of, they, they essentially save $6.25 million minus whatever the base cap hit is, because they have guys like Nick Patan and Ilya Mikheyev, I, I'm probably butchering that, and you know even Mason Marshman, if you want to commit yourself, who are probably not that different than Marlowe at this point, right? They're kind of fringe-ish NHLers, you know, third, fourth line tweeners, or or, or guys who can, you know, do a job in those 
roles, there's not a huge difference in quality between a third liner and a fourth liner, realistically. So yeah. it was easier for the Leafs to kind of handle this departure, but something that Kyle Dubas said yesterday, and we're going to get into this later, is that if you trade Nikita Zaitsev, well, we actually do need a replacement. And Katya has been kind of banging this drum for a while, where it's like, you know, like it or not, Zaitsev has been playing tough minutes on D, and someone has to take those minutes, and it's not really clear who that's going to be. So we'll, we'll touch on that more going forward. But the long and short of it on the Marlowe deal, and I think there isn't too much more to discuss on this unless you disagree, but it's a high price to pay, but it's something that had to be done. And I don't really fault Dubas for it. It's not really his mess. He's cleaning up uh, a, a bad contract from Lou. And that's mm-hmm. just the way it is, unfortunately. Yeah, th- there's nothing else to it. And because we were trading... Um, you know, a contract, which is just a cap hit at this point, because Carolina doesn't, by all accounts, really expect Marlowe to play for them. Mm-hmm. This was just a pure trade of extremely liquid assets, so to speak, or kind of fungible assets, I guess is what I'm saying, because it's just draft picks. So, like, there's very little question of, did Kyle Dubas take the best deal on the table? I'm sure he did. You know, it was just a question of, this has to come with a first, and that's it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. as for the first itself... um, I do still think that people have kind of sticker shock when it comes to, like, oh, a first-round pick, right? Yes. And I think this also came up with the JT Miller trade as well, and, and Alan pointed this out, where the Canucks traded a conditional first for, for JT Miller, among other things. And people are like, oh, mm-hmm. wow, you're giving up a first for that? But, you know, it, it's they lottery-protected it. So a late first, which is likely what the Leafs are going to give up, sucks, but it's not ideal. Or it sucks, but it's not the end of the world, right? Like, it, yeah. the, the reality is it's not a high-end first, realistically. The Leafs have protected it um, in the event that, you know, everything kind of goes to shit for us this year, which which is good, and I'm, I'm glad Dubas did that. We've seen teams go awry not doing that before, and even though the Leafs project to be a good team, and I think people are forgetting this, the Leafs do project to be a good team, and by all reasonable projection models, they should be a good team. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's it's not as if they're going to give up a really highly rated blue chip pro- prospect, I don't think, right? This is this is likely to be in the 20 to 30 range and close, probably closer to 20 than 30, but those are that's kind of the point at which draft picks become fairly interchangeable in terms of their success rate, so. Yeah, you know, it's not painless, but it's not, you know, capital F first run pick. It is yeah. notable, but when you look at it, deeper it's not as bad a price as it may initially seem because of the lottery protection or the top 10 protection rather yeah i think that was very sensible and again you know no one's expecting that to come into play but it's always good to have that safety patch just in case something does go very wrong for you although i do think one kind of a win carolina did is rather than having the Leafs lottery protected it's top 10 protected which means that Mm -hmm. if the leafs um, do poorly this year, like they have a bad goaltending year from Anderson, and then they, they're a bubble team and they just miss the playoffs, right? Most yeah. likely, Carolina will get the pick in that case. And, and, and then it's in the range where, you know, a first-round pick is actually significantly more valuable than a second-round pick, than a third-round pick, whatever. Yeah, right? you so know, it's was, closer to 10 than 20. Yes, exactly, um, right? So so in that 10 to 14 range, it's very possible. It, like The most likely outcome is that the Leafs make a playoffs next year. The second most likely outcome is that they're in the 10 to 14 range. Yeah, right. that's depressing to think about, but yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, it, you know, it's not out of the question. And so, 
Yeah, I mean, ultimately, this is one thing that someone pointed out to me, is that, you know, we're kind of operating now the way that Pittsburgh has often operated, which is that your firsts are an asset that you basically just give away all the time, you know, and, like, they're accustomed to often not having a full slate of draft picks. The only thing is, is that, of course, Pittsburgh has won stuff. Mm-hmm. And worst, you know, ponying up to solve problems and paying pretty substantial second contracts, and we still haven't gotten out of the first round. Um, and that is a bit frustrating, and I think that's part of what makes this so discomforting, I guess, is that there's not a feeling of progress with this deal. There's a feeling of just uh, sweeping up broken glass. Um, Which is what it is, right? I mean, yeah, that's, that's called space. And so, yeah, but that's something that we... We have to live with, but it is done, and so we won't uh, dwell on it, or this is going to be like a morose podcast. Um, and it does give us some benefits, uh, some benefits that are rumored to be pretty much signed and sealed at this point. Uh, I'm talking about Andreas Janssen and Kasperi Kapanen, who both apparently have agreements pretty solidly in place. They're not actually being signed pending the outcome of the Mitch Marner negotiation, but um the word from Bob McKenzie, and when Bob McKenzie says something, it's kind of the voice of God in hockey, is that Casperi uh, Kapanen will sign for three years at about $3.2 million per, and Andreas Janssen will sign for four years at about $3.4 million per. So, yeah, um, that's positive. You know, it's nice to keep two of our talented young wingers. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's part of what gives us an above-average forward core. We were talking before we came on about that. Um, yes, I agree. And I don't think I tweeted about this last night. I, I had a very long thread where I could just kind of summarize my thoughts in large part just to get them kind of all lined up to talk about them here in a hopefully intelligent manner. But I don't think there are steals of contracts. I don't think we're robbing Kapanen or Janssen. These are fairly close to what contract projection models like Evolving Wilds have projected. Um, and I think they're they're fair, right? I think kind of mentally we had benchmarked them and like, okay, if they come in at 6.5 combined on three-year deals for each, mm-hmm. that's about right. And they're coming in at 6.6 combined with three years for Kapanen, four years for Janssen, which I'm, I'm fine with. And I mean, just to quickly touch on the Marlowe deal again, because it does kind of relate to this, the, the success of the Marlowe deal is going to kind of depend on what the Leafs do with that cap space, right? Part of that, the use of that cap space was to say, okay, we're, we need to sign these two good young players to deals. And so far, so good. He signed Kapanen and Janssen to reasonable deals. One of my concerns with the Marlowe deal, with the Marlowe kind of trade, is that we're going to use a lot of that money and just overpay Mitch Marner. And we'll talk about Mm -hmm. that soon. But, you know, the success of that deal depends on how we use the cap space. Based on what's been reported, the way we've used the cap space thus far, you know, to retain these two guys, I'm happy with it. Right, I'm happy happy with these contracts. These These are good contracts. Yeah, I would say so. I think they're both like B plus. Like neither of them is like hitting it out of the park. Yeah. But yeah. they're solid. They're getting a bit of term. We're getting some cost certainty. And the last year of Andreas Janssen's contract ends when he's 29. So it's not like we're paying for anyone's decline, hopefully. Mm-hmm. So, and I think the last year of Janssen's deal is a UFA year as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the last two. Am I mistaken about that? Because, well, it's a 27 or 7 years thing, whichever comes first, right? But it depends, right. depending on when his birthday is and when they calculate like the age as of season, which I don't know mm-hmm. off the top of my head. It could be either the last year or the last two years. What I've seen people say on Twitter is that the last year is a UFA year. So I'm just I'm taking that at face value. Yeah. The point is we bought some kind of UFA years of some description, but I'm, I'm glad to have him. Yes. For sure. Um, 
I think, again, it's probably fair to say that Kyle Dubas has not captured extraordinary value on an RFA contract. Yes, um, I would say that's fair. These are, as, as I said, I think they're fair deals. I don't think, yeah. you know, we rob them blind, which is good. I'm, I wouldn't say, it's, from a perspective of a fan of the team, you want them to be as cheap as possible. But, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's nice to see guys being rewarded somewhat fairly for their contract. This is kind of in line with the market. Yeah, I don't, you know, have any problem of it. And no. I'm not sure, again, you know, we keep saying that the the one flaw in Dubas's armor, so to speak, has been that inability to capture additional value on RFA contracts. And especially with these ones, you can say, well, you know, these guys were um, 20 gold players. And this is going to keep coming up, so I might as well just address it head on. Offer sheets generally are not considered to be too much of a thing. However, they do apparently occasionally get issued, at least is what I'm, I've been told. It's just they're so rarely signed that um, they don't seem to have a lot of practical significance. Like the last time that a restricted free agent actually signed an offer sheet was uh, Ryan O'Reilly in 2013. So it's been a long time. But the fact remains that if you were going to offer sheet someone this year, Kasperi Kapanen made a lot of sense. Is something that I was thinking of. Like if you thought that you... We're pretty sure you were getting real top six value on him. Uh, a team that had uh, some cap space to burn maybe could easily have offered him 4.1 for a couple years. And maybe it's like a slight overpay, but that really puts the Leafs under the gun. So by virtue of maybe putting these things together now, I do think that there is some benefit to avoiding an offer sheet. Um, but if you treat offer sheets as being a real thing, you are kind of accepting that they're going to cost a little bit more. And so you're not going to get extraordinary value there the way you could if you kind of grinded out every second of the deal but by and large yeah i'm contented with this even if it's not like a wow is a deal i i think that um it, it's easy to get used to these guys being on your team so it doesn't have the glamour of a big acquisition it's just we're keeping what we already have but yeah and, and i mean in the dark era of the you know carl Nonis days if another team had a Kasperi Kapanen or Andreas Janssen type, we'd be like, oh, man, like they're incapturable. We should offer sheet those. Like Those guys are good. And they are, oh, yeah. right? Like, I mean, I think this is soured, for Kapanen especially, because he, he really did have a, a poor playoffs, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. He just didn't... He looked like he was fighting himself, you know? Um, but Kapanen had a really excellent year. He's He was a consistent play driver. He has some actual shooting talent. His speed means he is, you know, a threat pretty much... At any point, he could be having a bad, bad game, but he needs one play. He's a game breaker, right? Mm-hmm. And that's you know very unique. He provides some of our identities as a fast team. He has utility on the penalty kill, and I think he's one of those players who's actually an above average penalty killer. There's a lot to like about Captain, and he's still 22, right? He's still getting better. So, like we're, we're so focused on Captain's flaws, which are very apparent because he skates at 500 miles an hour, and then he gets to the offensive zone and fires a crappy shot from the top of the circles yeah it's kind of the nature of his gift is that he has something that's going to make you look at him just in time for him to give that bad shot you know yeah. it's like so, he will get your attention and then disappoint you exactly so but, he's not uh, a perfect player by any means but he is legitimately quite good right and yeah. Janssen is similar like Janssen had um pretty solid play driving results from what I remember I can look that up now actually um he was one of our with he and Hyman are really our two left wingers who I think can succeed and like help align with our top two centers and right wings. 
mm-hmm. right? They're they're good fits for where they are. So I'm I'm happy with that. Yonton's a bit older. I think he's he's 25 now, right? Or he'll he's be heading 25 in November. Yeah, so he's he's going into uh, his age 25 year. He's basically in his prime. This is kind of what we can expect from him. His shooting percentage was super high last year. I don't really mm-hmm. expect that to continue, but he is a a good offensive player. Um, and I think his role as kind of ide- in an ideal world, I think he's the third banana on a top line, and I think he can do that, right? The the Matthews, Nylander, Janssen line was very successful this year, and I want to see that line kind of staple together uh, for all of this yeah. season. I, I think that's a good line with without really any major weak link. Yeah, I think that that's a very respectable NHL top line, and so is Hyman Tavares Marner. So if you get those things, we still have the two first lines, and then we still have, um, you know, left wing of your choice, be it Nick Batan or Trevor Moore or, or what have you, and then Kadri and Kapanen. So it's still a, a very above average forward line, forward lineup. You know, like I think that that's comfortably one of the best forwards groups in the NHL, um, which is good. The thing is, the defense is not so great. And uh, I think we're all aware of that. But in locking up these two deals, and again, they're not official, but they seem to be the next thing too official. Um, that's great. It's, you know, stabilized our forward group, and it kind of makes it a given that uh, we'll be able to run these guys out uh, for the next couple of years. But the defense is kind of gross, I guess is how I would put it. Yes, so um, I guess now it's probably time to talk future trades and where the Leafs kind of currently stand with respect to the cap, right? So we can like level yes. set for everyone and ha- get, kind of communicate a clear picture of where we are. So we've both been kind of fiddling around with cap friendly, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we came basically to the same sort of conclusion that with the signings of Janssen and Kapitan, and assuming you trade Connor Brown into cap space and you kind of take back only future assets, right? Say a pick of some kind, right? And for the purposes of this discussion, it's not really important what pick. So you do mm-hmm. that. You put Nathan Horton on long-term IR. Um, depending on how many people you want to put on the roster, essentially the Leafs will have around 11.9 mil in space, not including Mitch Marner. So with this 11.9 in space, they essentially need to sign Mitch Marner um, and address their defense, which... You know, this 11.9 mil is saying they only have six defensemen right now, which is Riley, Zaitsev, Muzzin, Hall, Rosen, and Dermott, right? That left side is fine. That right side is god-awful. So you <laughs> yeah, have 11 point, Yeah, you have 11.9 million to basically sign Marner, upgrade the defense, and then maybe have like an, a, a... Not maybe. Have a seventh defenseman, um, which will be fairly cheap. So, you know, you could just lop off 700K and say we have 11.2 million to sign Marner and upgrade the defense. Yeah, so, and you, you have to think, of, where is that upgrade going to come from? Um, yeah, yeah. And it's not easy to see. No, it is not. So, um, I guess the, the way we were kind of thinking of this, or at least the way I was thinking of this, I'm not going to speak for Fulham in here, even though we probably do agree on this. Um, <laughs> the Leafs don't have a ton of assets at this point, right? So the Leafs are in this situation where they have kind of a stars and scrubs roster. They have a lot of guys who they don't want to trade. You're not trading Austin Matthews. You're not trading John Tavares. You're not trading William Nylander and getting something good back at this point. His value is at an eight year. You're not trading Morgan Riley. You 
probably don't want to trade Mitch Marner either. So that's five guys. You're not trading Anderson. Five, six guys who, off the top, you're saying, we basically can't trade these guys. They're too good. They're people who we want to build around, not trade. Right? Like, if you trade them, what's the point? What are you doing? And then kind of the rest of the roster, bar a few players, are kind of 700K scrubs. Right? You have Nick Patan, Mason Marchment, Freddie Gauthier, Ilya Mikhaev, um, Kali Rosen, Travis Sturmitt, who we don't want to trade because he's young and good, Justin Hall. These guys, mm-hmm. either, again, we don't want to trade them in the case of Dermott because they're young and good, or they just don't have any trade value, right? Like, what is what is Nick Patan going to get you on the trade market? Nothing. We, that's, we, we paid Par Lindholm for him, who was kind of cr- crappy, right? So none of these guys have, yeah. have any actual um, trade value. And also, importantly, none of them have large salaries, meaning... They can't be used as makeweights in a in a in a deal, right? So if the Leafs are trying to get someone with a cap hit of six million, let's say, they have mm-hmm. some additional cap space to, you know, not have dollar and dollar out deals at this point, but they still need to send salary cap ballots the other way. Yeah, and they, that tends to be how these things go. Yeah, is, they don't really have players know, to do that at this point. So the players who can be traded conceivably are guys like Janssen, Kapanen, Hyman. Uh, and Kadri, right? All of them present really big issues in terms of trading because they're, again, all good players on pretty good deals, very good deals in the case of Kadri. Mm -hmm. So finding trades for roster players on the Leafs is tough. You're you're giving up something there, right? Like you you can say, oh, you know, know, we just signed Johnson, but let's say we trade him in a couple months, which doesn't really happen that often in the NHL, but there's nothing disallowing it. So let's say that happens. Well, we've lost a pretty notable part about what makes our forward depth good, right? And maybe there's mm-hmm. a, the player that we get on defense offsets that and makes us better as a team. But by definition, when you are trading someone, you are probably getting a relatively similar amount of wins back unless you are just saying, you know, you're going to fleece a team. That's not an actual plan, as we're fond of saying. Yeah, you know, it's great. And it's increasingly clear that to make a substantial upgrade, that's probably the only real avenue right now. But you can't predict that. You can't rely on, we're just going to go out and rob somebody blind. Yes. Because it's just not that easy to do. Um, yeah. So, like, And I don't think that the Leafs have any particularly really overvalued assets that they can use in that manner. Agreed. So like with trades in general, there's two ways to make trades, broadly speaking. You can trade future wins for current wins, right? That's a very, very common way of doing things. Or you can trade current wins for current wins. That's player trades, right? Trading current wins right. for current wins for the Leafs is going to be tough unless someone really misevaluates someone on their roster. And as we just discussed, the only people, the only kind of real avenues to trade current wins are the four guys that I mentioned before, and they all present real problems in trading them. So then you have to start looking at, okay, well, let's look at trading future wins for current wins. That's what contenders do. The Leafs don't have much mm-hmm. in the way of future wins, though. And by future wins, I mean future assets, future draft picks young prospects with actual value around the league. They don't have that many of them. Yeah, th- this is the problem is that, you know, when we just unloaded our first mm-hmm. to get rid of um, Patrick Marlowe, and then if you look at our prospect pool, we have uh, three prospects that are, like, worth a damn, frankly. If that, uh, I mean, that's a bit harsh, but we have Rasmus Sandin, who... I think we would be extremely reluctant to give up because he's the only real jewel there. We have Timothy Liljegren, who is not quite as beloved, but he's at our position of greatest need, and so we're really hoping for something there. 
And then we have Jeremy Bracco, who I don't think gets you that much. Mm-hmm. And then everything else is an extreme maybe. Yes. So, and, and you know, with Lily Green and Sandin, I think they're more valuable to us than they are to pretty much any other team because we're going to need them to step in as early as 2020, 2021. Right? Like they're, they're, yeah. they're future wins, but they're not that future wins. And we need cheap people who can potentially be good. And they both play, you know, an area of great need. Um, Sandin, I guess, less so because he's a left defense. But, you know, in 2020, 2021, we're not, we might not have Jake Muzzin. Yeah, right. and, you know, depending on what Travis Dermott costs yeah. on an extension next year, it's like we really, as you say, we need to really maximize value there. So it's kind of like it feels a bit paralyzing. Yes. Like there isn't really a terrific option here unless you, um, you know, it's the go win a trade thing again. It's like if you can unload Nikita Zaitsev and basically clear all that money, maybe that's an option there. But, but it doesn't then. sound like that's, yeah. Like, even then, what, let's say you trade Zaitsev for nothing, right? No salary. Mm-hmm. And you you have, now, if you say Marner takes nine and a half, ten million, maybe you have, like, four and a half, five mil to address your defense. Well, now you need that that upgrade to be with two people. You still don't have any mm-hmm. salary battles going the other way, right? So, at that point, yeah. you're just trading future assets for current ones. And maybe you can find some undervalued guys. Maybe Mark Pissick or Colin Metter. Those guys both kind of make sense. They would certainly be an upgrade to the Leafs' defense, but at that point, you are really, really trading out from a, a barren amount of future assets, a barren amount of future picks and prospects. Right? I don't think at, with no Union and Santon, I think we're just we're just not going to trade them. We we need them. We kind of aren't just hoping for them to be good and useful as early as the season after this upcoming one, but we kind of need them to be that. Right? Like that, that's a big part of our succession plan. So. If we're just stuck with Brocco, like, okay, sure. Brocco and maybe a second and a third for Colin Metter. In a vacuum, I'm fine with that mm-hmm. deal. It helps the Leafs. Colin Metter's a good player on a good contract. I can see that deal happening. We become, we become basically the Penguins of the last X years in terms of how few draft assets we have then. We are, we are operating with almost nothing. And that's not necessarily bad, but it's also not necessarily an obvious trade that we have to make and we should make and we're stupid if we don't make it. Because... It's not a good spot to be in when you don't have those types of draft assets. Yeah, at some point you pay the piper down the line when you say, hey, we don't have anyone coming up through our system uh, because we didn't draft enough guys. And it's just a numbers game. Now, you know, you hope you hit on the picks that you do get. But the fact is that really outside the first round and even in the back half of the first round, everything is kind of a lottery ticket. So you just need to have a certain number of entries in the pool that you hope work out. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of, uh, you know, gutting our assets and having, again, it's already a fairly thin prospect pool to begin with because we've promoted out of it to what extent we can. Uh, you know, it, it's worth kind of remembering for a second here that Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner are actually still of an age where if they were less extraordinary, you might still consider them prospects. Like they might still be knocking on the door of the NHL. So some of... You know, this is just a product of we really had terrific first round picks that are no longer prospects whatsoever. That's why it's so thin. But the fact remains that not a lot of help is coming. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, you can definitely drop the Colin Miller deal in your head as a, as a pair of transactions if you think you can unload Zaitsev, which is not a given. Um, from the way Kyle Dubas has been talking, there's a bit of uh, 
I, I don't get the impression that he's all that optimistic about being able to unload this deal. Um, we said before that we think we would be able to trade it um, without having to take a negative asset back. I'm still a little hopeful for that, but I'm starting to wonder if that's the case, it probably should happen soon. And if it doesn't happen soon, we might have to reevaluate whether or not that's realistic. Um, it's not a good contract. Like, th these are the two, uh, whatever the opposite of crown jewels is, of Lou Lamorella's tenure. And I, again, you know, I've said some favorable things about Lou. I think he did some things pretty well. But Marlowe and Zaitsev are the anchors. And this is kind of where they come, come back to haunt us. Yeah. So... Yeah, and I mean, yeah. look, I'm not saying it's a bad idea to make a futures trade for Colin Miller specifically. If you said, mm -hmm. you know, trading for Jeremy Bracco and a couple middling picks, I'd probably do it because I like Colin Miller and I think he's good. And I think he makes the team better, and he's on a mm -hmm. good contract in my opinion. But it's not, it's not costless, right? There, there is a real cost to that, and kind of the marginal value of picks when you don't have very many is even larger because you kind of just need a base level in order to retain some sort of competent depth churn, right? To some extent, maybe the Leafs can get by that by continuing to mine Europe for, you know, mm -hmm. depth guys who are ready to play here for a year and then move on or, you know, just lottery tickets in that manner. But I don't think it is a slam dunk by any means. And, you know, you, you start looking into this and you start to realize that a trade is somewhat difficult for the Leafs to pull off in order to address their defense needs it, it there, there aren't a lot of obvious slam dunk trade candidates miller may be the only one yeah right? i mean the word we come, we come back to colin miller a lot of times for a lot of reasons so it's probably worth just saying why um he, he's with the vegas golden knights who are extremely capped out right now boy that didn't take long eh and um uh he's apparently fallen somewhat out of favor there um, the Knights actually, just as we went to air, were apparently putting the finishing touches on an extension with William Carlson, who's their first line center. Um, so they're going to be even more squeezed and they really have to unload somebody. So Miller makes uh, 3.875 a year for the next three years. He's 26 and he shoots right. And he played for the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds, which as we know is uh, Kyle Dubas's old organization. So there might be a little bit of a, a connection there, but... You know, as much as it's good, as it seems like kind of a natural fit, if we can trade futures for him and then unload Zaitsev somewhere else. Um, so you're counting on two transactions there. But it is, it is it's a bit of a squeeze. And Colin Miller, much as I like him, doesn't make you, you know... I don't think that he's like a real top pair guy. No, he's, he's not a top you know, pair guy. He's a top four guy, I think. You can, you can argue that. But it's not like... Yeah. I, not an above average top you know, pair guy, for sure. And you know what? Maybe that's just how it's going to be. Is you know we're not going to get a real bona fide top pair guy unless Rasmus Sandin turns into that. Which you know, as much as I like him, that's still extremely rosy. And you you know you have Morgan Riley, who is a version of that. Um, warts and all, we've talked a lot about Morgan Riley's uh, brilliant qualities and his kind of glaring flaws on this podcast, which is that you know he's not as great defensively as you'd like. It's a very kind way of but putting it. <laughs> he, he's, he's, Glass cannon, baby. He, he's very obviously a net positive. It's just like he's maybe the best offensive defenseman in the world and then like really putrid defensively. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Net benefit. And just keep saying that over and over to myself. Net benefit. Um, but you know, the upshot of all this is that it's very easy to envision this team going into next season with a roster that is not at all appreciably better than last season. Um, with Jake Gardner gone, you can say it's worse, depending on how you think Jake Muzzin replaces him. Um, if we do keep Nikita Zaitsev, I think maybe the one encouraging thing was that Muzzin and Zaitsev seemed to work relatively well together. They were a more successful pairing than I think I've really seen Nikita Zaitsev participate in in the NHL. So that's positive. But, you know, the only improvement is internal improvement. Like, you have to hope that some of these players just get better. And I don't think William Nylander is going to have anything like as putrid a year as he did last year. So that's one thing. But, I, I you know, I think if you're really kind of jolted by the fact that we keep losing in the first round, it can be a little depressing to look at this roster and think we're just going to have to kind of try again and hope it goes better this time. Yes. And, um, I mean, the reality is that East were a good team last year. There's no... It's not a grand failure if they end up running it back. And I don't think they'll do that completely. I do think Dubas will want to make a move. But, yeah, I think it's, it's very possible we do end up with a roster that is functionally very similar to what we had in the playoffs, where we had a very limited Jake Gardner, right? Like a Jake Gardner mm-hmm. who clearly wasn't Jake Gardner. No, uh, that was kind of tough to watch. I wish him the best, really. But, like, you know, as you were saying at the beginning here, we had all these um, positive assumptions about, like, uh, bridging Cappy and Janssen in a more aggressive way. And the cap was supposed to be 83 instead of 81.5. And Mitch Marner was hopefully going to sign for a deal that was not, you know, Texas and a dollar sign, which is what he's apparently pursuing. Um, all of that stuff adds up. And so, I mean, I don't know if you're experiencing the same thing, but even I think I was being not too crazy with some of my projections, but there's like $3 million, $4 million dollars that isn't there that I think we could have not unreasonably hoped would be there even a couple months ago. And so things have, have been unfortunate for us. And that's kind of what leads to the Marlowe deal. Um, we're even more squeezed than we thought we would be. I still think that we can, we will thing is going to be borne out. Like you can see a pretty direct line to keeping Mitch Marner, even if it's a painful overpay. Yes. Now. Yes. And I mean, but uh, yeah, it's, so one thing we didn't address is like we kind of discussed why trading for a right D upgrade or just a defense upgrade in general is tough but possible. It faces some hard decisions. You either have to kind of win a trade or um, win a trade or give up future assets from a farm that doesn't have that many left. The other option is mm-hmm. okay. Well, what if we don't have to give up assets at all? What what's there in free agency? And the answer very quickly becomes Ron Hainsey Part Three. Yeah, and that's not a joke. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, there's there's yeah, a very um, realistic chance. Like, we, we would have the cap. I think Hainsey probably likes here. I think we could probably give him a deal for like, hey, take whatever's left. Yeah, and, you know, and if he's down f- for that, I like honestly because you know that's the ultimate running back. Are, yeah, that like that's a, the running back writ large. And you know, I did not like Riley Hainsey as a pairing that was leaned on heavily. At the same time, I don't think I'm gonna love. Riley, Justin Hall very much, or, you know, whatever it is. And you look at this roster and you think, Jesus, we are kind of close to threadbare and you look, in a lot of respects. You look at the free agent um, market on D, 
and it, there's nothing. It, there's nothing. Jake Gardner, Tyler Myers, and then I think you can credibly argue that Ron Hainsey is at least close to the next best guy. Like, uh, I mean, even hearing myself say that, it sounds crazy. Yeah. But like, it, are there even it's any, a lot closer to that than you might think. Are there any, even any third-pair Corsi superstars there? Oh, I, I mean, there are always a few of those guys kicking around. I mean, hey, Cody Franson's probably available. Yeah, so, I mean, it depend, <laughs> the depending on how you convince yourself of, of those kind of types of players, you could argue one of them is better, but the reality is it's probably not a massive upgrade. So, yeah, th- this is why we think it's very possible the Leafs end up with run it back. And mm-hmm. the, the other alternative is, as we said, I'm, ha- I'm hammering this home, give up future assets when we don't have that many or mm-hmm. kind of get very creative and I actually I do want to spend some time discussing how they can get really creative with a trade okay so do so do you think there's there's a way let's start with the two kind of more obvious trade targets and or trade assets in Kapanen and Janssen do you think there's a way we could mm-hmm. trade one of those guys and get a player or multiple players to help our defense and come out of it in the long run better I think it's possible. I don't think it's easy. And I think, you know, again, that there's a bit of, um, I don't want to say a moral component, but I don't think it's considered, you know, like a great thing to sign a guy and turn around and trade him in hockey. Um, that said, you know, sometimes you, you got to be ruthless, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, everyone's talking um, about Masai Ujiri now and um, the ruthlessness of the of the, of the DeRozan-Kawhi Leonard trade, which which is fair, but I, I would actually say that that wasn't, that wasn't a terribly ruthless trade. No, it, well, it's not like he, he dealt him immediately. It was, no. you know, after a couple of years of failure. Yeah, I, I, this is, I guess we are, I said last week we were becoming a basketball pod. So I'll, I'll say this, and this is, <laughs> this is something I wish I had said this on the record, because I was very correct about the, about the Kawhi deal when, when, it, when it happened. And I'm wrong a lot, so I'm going to toot my horn here. But I was, <laughs> when the deal happened, I said, that's a good deal. They should have made that. It, it sucks from a personal side. Every Raptors fan was attached to DeRozan as the one kind of homegrown star who stayed. But the DeRozan, Lowry, Dwayne Casey trio has had run its course. And DeRozan in particular, was he's not a playoff player. His flaws are too obvious. He's too easily game-planned around. He's too bad on defense. That team was not going mm-hmm. really any further than they had shown. And even if the worst-case scenario with Leonard happened, where like he was injured or didn't show up and everything went to shit this year the Raptors would have had the capability to kind of burn it all down and rebuild, trade Lowry, trade Ibaka, whatever. Mm-hmm. It was a deal that was perfectly rational at the time. The only question was, you know, kind of the personal side of things, where it's like, you know, do you feel like you're doing wrong by your guy in DeRozan, the guy who was loyal to you for, um, for trading him? It's pro sports. I don't believe in loyalty. Right, I yeah. believe in. I'll back you up on this. I actually remember asking you about that trade when it was made because you know I don't know shit about basketball, mm-hmm. and I remember you did say this. So I'll vouch for you being right about that one. Yes. Um, but then the thing about hockey is it's more ambiguous. You know, is this team bumping its head up against the ceiling? Like, is it there? Is it clear that if you run it back, this team is not a realistic hope to do better than they did last year? This team could do better than last year. I don't think. They're, they're one game away, right? Like, they they were up one yeah. nothing in an elimination game against the Bruins. They, they were... That was a 50-50 series. That was a really close series. 
Mm -hmm. right? I still think the Leafs were the better team at five on five. And I know that uh, Scott Wheeler said this on Twitter and everyone just roasted him for it. But it's like, the fact is things can go a lot of ways. And I think if you were watching the Boston series, you at least have to say that the Leafs were as good or better than Boston at five on five. If you watch that Boston um, series and your takeaway was the, the Leafs as constructed cannot ever win. I, I don't trust your hockey intelligence. No, I, I don't think so. And, you know, a lot of people want to believe that because, frankly, you know, we're not the most beloved fan base in the face of the earth. And it's not that they're not flawed. Mm-hmm. They are but, flawed. They're very flawed. Yeah. But, I, you know, the other thing is that uh, pending this possible return of Ron Hainsey thing, everyone on the team now is under 30 years old. Like, it's not like there's a clear expiry date on this group that is coming into view. Mm-hmm. I sh- sorry, I should say Jake Muzzin is 30 years old. But, you know, Austin Matthews is 21. Mitch Marner is 22. William Nylander is 23. Um, there's... You can run it back right now and say, in all honesty, like, there could be more growth there. There could be more things to hope for. I'm not saying you don't want to capitalize on that opportunity, because you do. But... If I'm trading Kasperi Kapanen, I really want to be sure that I'm winning that deal. Um, that should be true of any trade, obviously. But just, you know, trading Kapanen because you want to reallocate some of the money to the defense, I'm not sure I would do that just to do it. Like, I would want to be really sure of the upgrade that's going on there because I think that it is worthwhile having uh, as good a forward group as we do. Yeah, and, and the difference between Kapanen and his replacement on the Leafs is probably about as large as the upgrade you're getting by whatever defenseman you're getting there. I mean, maybe you could say, you know, Brocco can maybe step in. Brocco looks really good. We don't really have room for him on the roster right now, which makes him a very obvious trade candidate. Um, mm-hmm. But Brocco is also a very different player than Captain that doesn't really provide his value on penalty killers or in defensive situations. You kind of need to put him in the offensive zone with one. You'd want to have him with a, a great finisher. We have two of them who play center in Matthews and Tavares. Well, which one? Are, who are you kicking to the curb? Need Andrew or Marner? It doesn't make sense with either. Yeah. So, so. like trading Kapanen is become, it's tough, right? So, and I guess a similar thing with Janssen because we're very very weak on left wing. And again, there's mm-hmm. nothing behind them. So you can say, okay, trade Janssen, uh, and get a, a right defenseman who is good, who's like a, let's say an actual second pair right defenseman. Well, now you're downgrading from Janssen to Nick Patan. You're downgrading from probably a second line forward to someone who at this point is marginal. Maybe you believe in Patan. I like him a lot, but I'm not thrilled with Nick Patan, second line left wing. He's an inch over the waiver wire. Yes, yes. Like, that's the reality. Yeah, so, so. It, 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 again, it comes down to the win a trade thing. Now, the interesting, mm-hmm. the work gets interesting, there's, there's two other candidates. One is Nazem Kadri. Yes. So... This is very tricky because just like with, I mean, perhaps even more so than with Kapanen and with Janssen, we have nothing behind Nazem Kadri, right? If you trade Kadri, no. our third line center is, okay, William, go over there. Austin, sorry, but, you know, you can play with whoever the hell, whoever the hell else is coming up from the roster. House Mason Marchment, <laughs> right? Like, they, it, it's, you're, you're, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul in that situation. So you have William Nienander as a backup, but... You know, you want to have Nylander with Matthews. That's where they're both best. So mm-hmm. trading Kadri is tough. But if you trade Kadri for a guy who is 
75% of the player of Nazem Kadri at 60% of the cost. You free up a bit of money. You change up your allocation of the roster slightly. You say we, we go more to a top six, bottom six structure. We start riding the top guys more. We, we turn the third line into a matchup line with a guy who's actually suited for that. Now you have a bit more money, not only to add a defenseman, but you also get whatever you get in return for Kadri, who is a very, very valuable player. Now that's something that works in theory, right? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, in theory. And, you know, you can always say that, like, conceivably there's a trade out there. Centers are always in demand, for one thing. Um, but I have to admit that I generally think that having three very strong centers is still probably our team's greatest strength. I know that Kadri is probably not maximized because he's, you know, there are only so many minutes to go around. And so the fact that you have a third line center who's really an, an above average second line center it doesn't quite lead to that full benefit because he can't play the full amount of ice time that uh, that above-average second-line center gets. Yes. So I do recognize that, but at the same time, I'm just not super keen on dealing out from that because then I find myself thinking, we stop being a team with that really much extraordinary strength, except that we have a great top six. And so unless you're getting back a really great... Um, defenseman. I'm kind of leery of it. I, I mean, it, it's done now, but P.K. Subban was traded yesterday for an extremely paltry return. Um, it was a cap dump, really, what more than the, anything. The Nashville, yeah, what the Nashville Predators got back was basically nothing. It was a guy who's not um, really a great NHL defenseman, a kind of mad prospect in two seconds. But they were trying to unload basically the totality of Subban's cap hit in the 9 million range. I I can't help wondering if there was some sort of possibility there for Kadri and Saban. I guess not, given the cap dump nature of it. But, you know, something like that would, would appeal to me a great deal. If you get below that, if we're dealing um, Nazem Kadri for, say, like Adam Larson or something like that, I'm not very happy with that. I don't think that I do it. So I don't think that the trades that seem the most realistic to me uh, are ones that I would take for Nazem Kadri. What do you think? I think it's it's an idea that makes sense, but then like you kind of have to deal with the constraints of the real world. So Kadri for Larson, I think I'm actually I don't know if, I don't know if I'm more into it than you are. I, I think Larson's legitimately good. He's a guy who, in theory, mm -hmm. meshes well, very well with Riley because he he's legitimately good defensively. I think Kadri's a better player. So I wouldn't do Kadri for Larson straight up. I definitely wouldn't do that. But depending on what other assets Edmonton wants to give to us, maybe. Um, mm -hmm. But if let's say we just trade Kadri for kind of a guy who can masquerade as a top pairing guy. So not like a true top pairing guy, but like if I think Kadri is like the 30th best center in the world, maybe you trade him for the 35th best defenseman in the world. I don't know. Something, something to that effect, right? Mm-hmm. And this is something I've seen a lot. It's in my Twitter mentions a lot. I had in, in that thread that I had yesterday, someone said, trade Kadri for a top four right-handed defenseman. So let's bump that up. Trade Kadri for someone better than that, for like a true like tweener top pair guy. Sign a UFA center uh, for cheap. Have them play 10 to 12 minutes, right? They kind of reallocate your team in that way. Play your third and fourth line very defensively. Start riding your stars. Um, and it's something that makes sense in theory, but when you look at, well, who, which UFA center do we sign? It's not pretty. That's the trick. It's not pretty. Yeah. <laughs> like, who, who, who's there? Marcus Johansson's out of our budget. He's not... He, he's going to sign for four or five mil, easy. 
you know, at that point, he's more expensive than Kadri, pretty much. Um, yeah. Cotton Wilson, sure, maybe. Uh, don't know if he's yeah. that good. You can't. You also can't hinge your hope on saying, okay, there's that one mid-tier UFA center, and if we don't get him, our entire plan goes up in smoke. Because like, maybe Cotton Wilson doesn't want to live in Toronto. Maybe he wants to stay in Colorado. Yeah. Maybe he wants to do any other number of things. It's hard to plan for that, right? Um, Kevin had this idea a while back that was really interesting to me, and I've, I've mentioned it a couple times, where it's um, get Columbus to retain money on Alex Wenberg, who had just a putrid year for them, right? Um, mm-hmm. And he, he's making like 5 mil right now, 4.9. So he's making more than Kadri. He's not as good as Kadri, but he is a good play driver. He could play that third-line center role. If you get Columbus to retain 50% on him, then that frees you up to trade Kadri. You have a guy who can actually play that three that three C role, um, and you can trade Kadri for uh, assets or the top four defenseman that you want himself. Theoretically possible. There's a lot of moving parts though, and it's it's not that's not easy to pull off, right? Like maybe Columbus is just saying no, we don't want to retain fifty percent on Winberg. Screw off. Okay, well that yeah. Is- I mean, I don't know if they're that. I mean, retaining, like, an amount that's, like, above $2 million for several years, I just instinctively think that most teams would be kind of leery of that. I'm trying to think of term deals that have had significant retention on them for, like, a long time, and Phil Kessler comes to mind, but yes. that was $1.2 million. Yes. And also, you know, the Leafs are richer than God. Um, Columbus is not, to my knowledge. And I don't know what they think that they're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they kind of went all in, burned the boats on a playoff run this year, mm-hmm. but... Yeah, it's yeah, it's a little tough to piece together. They do want to get rid of Winberg, I'm sure. Uh, Aaron Portsline has has mm-hmm. confirmed as much. I asked him, you know, is are they amenable to reta- to retaining on Twitter? And he very unhelpfully responded, "Depends on the offers." Which, like, no shit, mate. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it depends really? on the offers. Um, that's not the answer I was looking for. But every trade ever for the the whole history of the time. Yeah. But uh, uh, anyways, yeah. I don't so know. it's possible, but. It's tough, and look, we don't know. We, we, we're under the fog of war here, right? Like, we, we're on the outside. We don't know mm-hmm. what the options are. This is something that's theoretically available to do this. It requires a lot of moving parts. It'd be tough to pull off. It's an option, and it's one of the only ways we can actually add to our defense roster. One thing that people don't mention, and again, I'm going to credit Katya for this because she hammers this point home. You trade Nazem Kadri, you get a prototypical third-line center. That's all well and good. What happens when Austin Matthews goes down for five games, 10 games, 15 games? Uh, we're really in the shit then, mm-hmm. right? One of the benefits of Kadri, especially in the regular season, is that he is insurance, right? You can play him for half a season in your top two lines, and you're kind of fine. You're still above average. And look, most teams are screwed if one of their top centers goes down for a long time. A lot of teams are screwed. Um so it's mm-hmm. not like a death sentence to say, oh, well, this team is worse without their best player. Of course they are. Every team is. But the Leafs, as currently constituted, mm-hmm. are more inured to injuries to Matthews and Tavares than almost any other team is to their top centers. And trading Kadri, you do lose yeah. that, which does have actual value. Okay, so now the last option is the nuclear one. What if you trade Mitch Marner? <laughs> Yeah. Ooh. Um, so I'm going to preface this by saying I don't think that this is at all likely. No. Um, we would have to get to one hell of a pass before this was even happening. That said, um, if you trade Mitch Marner, 
suddenly your cat problems are gone. Yes, completely gone. So that's nice. Completely gone. Um, yeah, depend. Yeah, I mean, depending on what you, what you get back for him, right? But that's ten million dollars um, or more, depending on what he's asking for. Uh, the only thing is that if you are trading him, you wonder a little bit about um, the offer sheet pressure and how that factors in. Because if we're trading him, we're basically conceding that um, there's no viable deal for us with him. Like, we're giving up. And the team that's acquiring him has to be sure that they're going to be able to sign him. So, it's not inconceivable to me that if it came to that, that whatever team is acquiring him might be better off issuing him an offer sheet at 10.5 million and they give us two firsts, a second and a third, which is probably still less in terms of asset value than whatever we would be hoping to get from Mitch Marner. Yes, very so I, much so. I hope I'm being clear there, but yeah. Yeah, it's just the offer sheet thing kind of hangs over it in terms of if you're going to make a trade that involves Mitch Marner, um, there's always that alternative route by which whoever you're giving him to could get him. And so the trade that you make with them can't be notably worse than the offer sheet processes for that. It becomes, in terms of it becomes like the up. first Hale-Kessel and, trade. Yeah. Right, where Burke had threatened an offer sheet, essentially, in order to facilitate a deal. Yeah, and uh, wow. Uh, funny how that trade worked out. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, for the longest time, I was like, well, you know, actually, I don't even think that Phil Kessel trade was, was even that bad, which was, I've never lied to myself as much as I did with that whole process. That trade was hideously bad. I mean, I'll defend you. I don't think... <laughs> I mean... Okay, so with the uh, information available at the time, it was understandable, yeah. except Burke comically misevaluated his team's goaltending. Right? And nothing... Nothing gets you worse results. Yeah, nothing gets you worse results faster than misevaluating your goaltending. Yeah, that's hockey for oh, you. God. Okay, I'm having like flashbacks now. Anyway, sorry, but yeah, but so the Mitch Marner thing is is on the one hand he's a, a terrific asset, um, and you know the team unequivocally gets a lot worse if he ever does go, unless you're getting a spectacular return. But I think the combination of one that if we're ever trading him, it's because it's a very fraught negotiation that is basically not progressing anymore. And then to the similar thing with the offer sheet, I think we lose any Mitch Marner trade. Uh, it's a question of how badly. I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Okay. Mitch Marner is a great player. You are correct in that we get unequivocally worse without him. But if we're going to sign him, if the options are to sign him to a over market value contract or a contract that where we're going to get less benefit than what other teams can get from their star RFAs. It might not be mm -hmm. efficient, right? He's a great player, but it might not be an efficient use of resources, right? So, yeah, but you don't want to win the Eugene Nelnick Best Cost Per Point Award every year. The point is to get elite talent. No, for sure. <laughs> but you yeah. can also find other players who are potentially more efficient, right? And that can be done through trade especially with good defensive forwards who are still undervalued in the league. And the Leafs don't have very many of them. In fact, I'd say they don't really have any good defensive forwards or any great defensive forwards anyways. That's probably fair. So if you trade Marner and invest in a few players, let's say two to three, who improve your skater defense, if you get someone like Jason Zucker, who is, you know, okay. being shopped by 
maybe the dumbest front office in the league in Minnesota, right? If you get <laughs> um, some, I, I don't have names off the top of my head, but if you use that to get, say, Jason Zucker and some right defenseman who is defensively useful, you've changed the makeup of your team in a significant way, and it's it's worse in some sense. You don't have the creative talent, the offensive genius of Mitch Marner, but you're also not paying a bad contract to him. You're getting good defensive players who are potentially on cheaper deals and more efficient deals. And you have made your team kind of a very different team as a result. You made them actually useful defensively, potentially. And I'm not saying this is like a slam dunk. And it's hard to get into the names because there's so many moving parts and we don't know what's available. But I don't think it's... Mm -hmm. I don't think it's completely out of the question that we could come out better from a Mitch Marner trade. Now, it's hard because you're, you're right in the sense that if we're trading Mitch Marner, it's because the negotiation is not going well. And that means we are not getting full value for Mitch Marner, right? I mean, mm-hmm. and realistically, if we think a deal is too expensive, for if the Leafs, who are, you know, endowed with Marner more than any other team, really, right? Because of having him for such a long time and kind of watching mm-hmm. through him grow up with the team and being attached to him. If we think a deal is too expensive, I'm sure most other teams think it's too expensive too. Right? So, you know, you have to trade him to a team that wants to sign him for whatever he's going to ask for and has no issues with that. It becomes tricky, right? You get maybe a bunch of assets in return. You have to then translate those assets into another player in a separate deal where perhaps, you know, teams know you're desperate. So they're saying, okay, you have these first round picks burning a hole in your pocket, maybe from this Marner deal. Well, first round picks aren't helping you now because you're trying to win. Pay me a bit over the odds. There's a lot of complexity there, I agree. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's completely out of the question, though. And and if he's dead set... Yeah, I mean, it's not impossible, for sure. Yeah, if he's dead set on saying, I want to make Matthews money, I want to make 11 mil, I don't see what other choice we have because that contract is not going to be good. There are better ways to spend 11 million than on Mitch Marner. You could spend that on two players who will, I'm quite sure, help you more than Mitch Marner plus the fact that we have to play a replacement level guy uh, on our second pairing because we can't, because we're trying to afford Mitch Marner, right? There's clearly a line at which paying Mitch Marner that much is not good, not useful for a hockey team, despite how good a player Mitch Marner is. The question is... Yeah, there's a, there's a point at which it's too much money. Yes. For sure. Yes. And, but it, so if you're talking about like, okay, we really need to upgrade the defense, maybe that's the way you do it. The problem is... There's so many moving parts, and it's so difficult. It's incredibly hard to foresee what that is. And, like, God, you need some guts to make that deal. Especially if you're Dubas, especially if you're the guy who said, we can and we will. Yeah. We couldn't and we didn't. Yeah. Um, and, like, you're, you're yeah, going to take would. it on it the It would be a big move. Yeah, uh, you will. And, you know, you are, from a pragmatic perspective, you are gambling a little bit your own job security. Oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. you're trading... You're trading the guy who was your top point getter the last couple of years, the guy who was uh, John Tavares' running mate. The guy who was a big um, part of luring John Tavares to Toronto. Yeah. You, you know, you are making a, a huge, huge bet there. I think he has to explore it just as a negotiating thing. You know, we're talking about um, Mitch Marner is going to take meetings with other teams this week because they are, the negotiation period is opening. Um and I still don't think that he's actually going to sign an offer sheet to skip town. But I think if I were negotiating, I have to say, 
Um, that's exactly what I would do is you have to make it look like a credible threat. Yeah. And so the Leafs at the same time have to be exploring um, trade options, even if they don't really think that it will come to that, even if they don't really want it to come to that, because I'm sure that they don't. They want this to end in Mitch Marner signing a reasonable or even just not disastrous contract. Yeah, and I mean, but, we, we talk a lot about Mar- Leafs, the Leafs leverage over Marner, which they have plenty of, right? Um, hmm. I don't believe Marner wants to play outside of Toronto. <laughs> Mike Babcock had a kind of funny quote um, yesterday when he was asked about the Marner thing at the draft. He said, you know, Marner's from Toronto, right? He just kind of left it at that, <laughs> which yeah. to some extent is like him going, come on, you really want to, yeah. you really don't want to play here? Get serious, The kid. Toronto kid? Yeah. <laughs> your entire family's here? Your entire support system here? Your friends yeah. here are here? You're going to be with the most hated person in Toronto if you leave? Come on, right? And if the Leafs yeah. are starting to play hardball with Marner, as they should, in my opinion, I think that's a good sign because the asks from Marner's side have been ludicrous, right? But Marner mm. also has some leverage on the Leafs, which is that, hey, look, a year ago you told me I was a big part of this team. I'm one of the reasons John Tavares came. I'm one of the reasons John Tavares was third in the league in goals. And now you're going to trade him? Are you going to trade me? And you're going to go to John Tavares and say, hey, you had the best year of your career. We just traded the guy who helped you get there. How's that going to go? Yeah. Right? It's a two-way That's street. That's with Trevor Moore, though, bud. Yeah, it's, it's a two-way street. And I think the Leafs have more leverage. They have more capability to play hardball there. But there are real pressures for the Leafs that make it really hard to say goodbye to Marner, even when he's being kind of ridiculous. Yeah. I, I will say just a, a general thought about the, the Marner negotiations. Um, Marner has negotiated through the media a lot. Uh, that's been a conspicuous strategy on his part. For one thing, I kind of accept that as being okay. You know, it is what it is. That's the business. I do have a couple of interrelated thoughts about that, though. One, people seem to want to blame, like, Darren Ferris or Paul Marner or something like that for what's happening, because I guess it's easier to be mad at the people around the player than the player themselves. Um, I think that's kind of silly, frankly, because, you know, Mitch Marner ultimately is the one signing the contract. He's the one who's employing the agent. He is uh, 22. You know, he's still a young man, and I'm sure his dad is influential in his life, but he's got to take charge of his own process. So I think it's fair to assume that whatever is happening in these negotiations, Marner is at least on side with. And that's fine, but... I, I think maybe a lot of the, you know, the sentimentality about the hometown kid, maybe we're just seeing how much that really is worth. Um, it, you know, it's not going to make him tie one hand behind his back for this negotiation. It's already been more fraught publicly than the Nylander one ever was, even at the end. Because Nylander was always quiet uh, publicly, um, always said he wanted to play in Toronto, never gave the slightest interest in an offer sheet. Um this is already like a, a more fraught negotiation. It doesn't mean that I think that it's going to blow up on us, but I think that people maybe were a bit naive about how easy it was going to be. Um, so, so yeah, I, I mean, that's not something that's kind of in the background, this whole thing. I think this is going to be a bit of a, a knockdown drag out fight. Um, I was hoping it was going to get done by July 1st. I'm sure Carl Dubas was too, but it doesn't sound like we're that close at this point. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's tricky, right? Like Dubis did a lot yesterday. He still has a lot to do to upgrade the defense. And I think fans will be really disappointed if 
we do run it back. Natural, right? Mm -hmm. But he has limited cards to play. And and the options are not amazing. Yeah. It's either like really roll the dice with a cadre deal, really, really, really roll the dice with a Marner deal to try and, you know, reallocate. Or, you know, find a way to win a trade in some manner or give up future assets. And yeah. you're really... I don't think that there's like a, a way where we get a lot better that isn't a huge gamble. Yeah. Like that's the thing is there's no obvious road. The, the, the best way, I think, so... the most likely way is, okay, he says, he holds his nose and pays some future draft picks. And it's like, you know what, that's going to suck in 2021, but we're trying to win now. Yeah, and, and you know, maybe that's ultimately the answer is just to say, screw the future, yeah. burn the boats, yeah. and, it's go and, time. And I mean, like, look, trading two mid-round picks in 2021 or 2022, that's not the end of the world. But it, it's... No. it's And you can say, like, look, the first round picks that we've already given away, there's sunk cost. Mm -hmm. It's yes. done. Move on. Um, but it, it's still not so, so it's yeah, still value. You know. It's still value that you're. It's still future value that you're that you are giving up, and it, it's mm -hmm. you do feel that eventually. We've seen it many, many times. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I mean, he's got a, a tough summer in front of him in some ways, and he's got to really decide where he wants to go. This could be franchise defining for sure. I mean, every summer is a big summer, I think, but. I mean, certainly if he makes a Mitch Marner trade, that's immediately like the success or failure. It's the top line on his on his Wikipedia page, probably. Yeah. You know, this is a, this is a big process. I guess we should talk a little bit about the draft. I thought everyone was just there to watch Dubas make trades. <laughs> yeah, he just gets everyone there in case he needs them. There was a terrific <laughs> picture of him talking on two phones at once, which I thought was just perfect. I, lo I um, love pictures of GMs talking on two phones at once. <laughs> it's just it's it's the best thing it's like what is this achieving man <laughs> put one of them down but it doesn't matter um anyway so that, that was pretty great um and you know we definitely heard that caldubas was talking to everybody uh james myrtle said you know they were in a lot of discussions the rumor is you know they're certainly working the phones um no pun intended but they did also draft some people and we were without a first round pick due to the, to, due to the jake muzzin trade so the Leafs got their first pick at 53rd overall. Um, obviously, I'm learning for the most part about all of these players for the first time. I'm not going to claim to be any kind of expert, but it is worth noting that Cal Dubas sure seemed to play to type. He picked player after player who was perceived as smart. Um, you know, they talk about hockey sense. They talk about instincts. They talk about an intelligent player. And he did not give a damn about size. Uh, no one he drafted was listed as being taller than 5'11". And I believe this is true. I noticed this yesterday. I think Kyle Dubas himself is taller than every player that Kyle Dubas has drafted since he became GM. Because Kyle Dubas is apparently 6'3". So he doesn't seem at all to have a size bias. Um, he just wants players who he believes are smart players. Um, this seems to be in the early stages of paying dividends already with Rasmus Sandin. Um, so all we can say is we hope it continues to do so. Um, Nick Robertson, who was the, uh, the first guy we picked at 53rd overall, maybe he wor he's worth uh, discussing a little bit more since he's, you know, the top guy. Um, he's 5'9". He's, by all accounts, ferocious. Like, he plays a lot bigger than his size. Um, very determined, gritty player. Um, has a lot to bring to the table, and he compared himself to Trevor Moore, who is a 
similarly undersized but very determined young player. Dream higher. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, he mentioned that. I mean, now they are both from California, yeah. which is probably what summoned it to his mind. But uh, so, okay. Recognizing that it's the day after draft day, so this is the time for just ludicrous comparables. When I saw 5'9", left winger, ferocious, good hands, extremely driven, kind of belligerent, plays with an edge, I thought Brad Marchand. So what I'm saying here is that we're going to have our own Brad Marchand and nothing else is going to be a problem. All this stuff that we've worried about, it's over. (laughs) Um, Nick Robertson is a lock to be a superstar player. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, I think... I mean, from where I, I'm sitting, at least I'm happy with how they seem to be doing things. It's very hard to evaluate drafts, but... Um, yeah, I mean, like, let's be real. Neither of us know shit about the draft or prospects, no, right? We, I know what people tell me. Exactly. Um, and so, you know, I, I was reading, you know, Scott Wheeler and uh, Corey Bronman and them, and they both said, like, look, good value for the spots, smart players. And, you know, I remember, by contrast, to say the, the Austin Matthews draft where a lot of the picks that we took after the first round were kind of questioned right off the hop and have mostly turned out to be not so great. So it's nice that the, the early returns on it are at least positive. Uh, you, you can't expect anything to, you know, explode out of the gate, um, you know, the way that our, our top 10 picks in the past have done. But, uh, you know, hopefully we're getting some above average value there because as we've said, our pipeline is so thin now we're really going to need it. So... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's important. Um, was there anything else you really wanted to discuss about the draft? Because, like, I, re- I really don't know any of the players. So it's like, I can read scouting reports, but I uh, at this point, I think it's probably more efficient for readers to oh. just read that themselves. Yes, and we did have uh, articles on literally everyone picked where we tried to collate all the information that we could find about them at short notice, whether it be highlight videos or scouting reports or what have you. So... We're learning about them in real time along with you, but uh, you can check our site and you can find some of the information there. So, yeah. All right, cool. Um, Was there anything else you wanted to talk about before we we signed off? No, I'm good. All right, sweet. Um, So thank you all for listening. You can find all of mine and Fuleman's work at PensionPlanPuppets.com and a whole host of other content as Fuleman alluded to. We have a ton of draft content. We're going to keep pumping stuff out as the offseason comes. It's going to be a big offseason for the Leafs and... We're going to be there every step of the way with you. Um, so you can also follow Fuleman and myself on Twitter at RVNATFuleman. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye.